Thank you for joining us on this episode of MSP 1337, a podcast dedicated to helping MSPs and their clients navigate cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is a journey, but it doesn't mean you have to travel alone. I'm your host, Chris Johnson, and before we get started, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Pinpoint Solutions, a consulting firm dedicated to providing cybersecurity leadership and guidance to MSPs and their clients. Think of us as your virtual CISO or security advisor. Head on over to pinpointsolutions.com to find out more. Now on with the show. Welcome everybody to this episode of MSP 1337. This week I'm joined by Kenneth May of Swift Chip Consulting. Thanks for joining us, Ken. Thanks for having me, Chris. Hey, so uh, this episode, uh, it, for those that know you uh, in your uh, arena, you're heavily involved in security, cybersecurity. Uh, and I think that while I like the idea of getting involved in things like vulnerability assessments and penetration testing and say, the blue red team type exercise. Mm -hmm. I like the idea, which is a whole lot different than where I think you're at, where you are doing this stuff. And uh, I applaud you for it because it's just not my cup of tea. Uh, but this is why I, you know, talking earlier, why I wanted you to be on the show is primarily because a lot of MSPs are struggling with two concepts. One, the difference between penetration tests and vulnerability assessments, because obviously uh, a penetration test includes vulnerability assessment. It is built on a vulnerability assessment. Um, so vulnerability assessment is not the same as pen test, but a pen test is a vulnerability assessment with more. More, yeah. And then the second one is the mindset that says, I'm not big enough to need this done on either my organization or my clients. And I think I'd like to, um, as we go through this, I'd like to address uh, any MSP that thinks that they don't need one at all, um, because I think that that really gets more into a maturity component. So I would also defend them on the one hand that says, yes, at your current maturity level, doing a penetration test is going to merit the same result as we already know is the state of your environment. So let's not, you know, if the house of cards is a house of cards, let's not knock them over. Right, right. So. Right. So as we were talking before the show, and by the way, for those of you who don't know, uh, Ken and I go way back. Uh, we were in the first MSP Ignite peer group that was ever formed. And I was so, there. I was there in the beginning. When in the beginning. Started. And that's been close to a decade now. Like we are literally coming up on, it's been what, oh eight years? Gosh. Eight years, I think. So wow. uh, a lot of history between us. Uh, we, 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 we spent a lot of time uh, talking shop. And I have to say, uh, of the people that are out there that I know, there are a few that uh, can touch Ken when it comes to the understanding of what goes into truly penetration testing. That's very so, cool. Well, hey, I wouldn't ask you on the show if I didn't think you had the chops uh, <laughs> for it. So we're going to ask some hard questions, I'm sure, at some point here. Good. All right. So, so the first question, and I think this is probably one of the most important questions, is I'm just going to start sort of backwards of how I uh, started the conversation, and that is, Talk to me about vulnerability assessment and penetration testing in the context of an MSP, like the importance of it. And maybe sure. that's vague, but I'll start there and we'll see what we need to do to narrow it down. Yeah, so uh, for the MSP itself, 
we, you know, we've seen such a huge increase in the targeted attacks of MSPs themselves and the supply chain, um, looking at uh, SolarWinds, looking at Kaseya, looking at some other MSP specific vendors that have been uh, specifically targeted by uh, APTs, advanced persistent threats and, and other hacking groups out there, that it's more critical than ever that the MSPs themselves get their own house in order before they really can be confident in taking care of their own clients. So um, not only getting regularly uh, assessed, but also pen tested, I think is, is absolutely mandatory. And it's, of course, it's a good idea to do sort of your own uh, scan of yourself, uh, but it can't be fully objective, right? And it's not gonna really um, stand up. So uh, finding a good organization to work with that can uh, do assessments and pen tests of your own environment, I think is, uh, is critical if you wanna have uh, it hold up to any sort of scrutiny. And that's just the first thing before we even start talking about their clients. Well, so let's, let's pause right there for a second because I think there's, there's two things that work here with an MSP. One is the idea that most MSPs are not very big, right? I mean, most uh, you and I are both pretty active in the industry. I'm not sure exactly what the the truth uh, is of the average size of an MSP, but um, I mean, I've seen one man shops call themselves MSPs, and there are MSPs out there with hundreds of employees. But by and large, we also could say the same thing about the SMB space. But we all kind of accept that if there's less than 200 employees, which I think in the MSP space, that'd be a really big SMB. It would be a pretty good size. So if we were talking about, say, where we're comfortable, let's just say that most of our clients are somewhere between five and 25 employees is our client base, regardless of how big our MSP is. So if I think about that, and I actually had this conversation earlier with uh, uh, another um uh, opportunity. And he and I were kind of going back and forth of the, the organization, the MSP isn't just that entity, right? Because all of your clients that you have tentacles into for the different services you offer are kind of like different departments in an organization that's much larger. So if you were to take that and go, okay, well, how big is the organization now that I've got all these pieces that I flow into or, or stuff comes into me? how big is my company now? One might argue in a lot of cases, you're almost of enterprise size. So an interesting uh, approach to that, not one I've really seen much of. The, um, and I'm only saying that to just say that this there is a, a factor that makes the MSP bigger than the actual MSP because absolutely. those clients have a, the, the tool sets flow in and out of each other, which makes us, one, one could argue if we're on, in the same building on different floors, Okay, maybe that's a little bit more separation. But when we're in the same building and we share the same uh, workout room and conference right, rooms, right. I guess that's where I'm kind of going with this. So as you have well, certainly it targets the attractiveness of the organization, right? Right. So yeah, from, from an attacker's perspective. Absolutely. Which is part of that's where I wanted to go with this. See, I knew there was a reason why I had you come on. It's like you already knew where I was going. So <laughs> so following what you were saying earlier is okay. Now take that same thought process and say, me, the MSP first, how big am I really? What's my threat surface really? Right, right. So yeah, no, but keep going, because I, I think this is where we're at. I, I just wanted to pause there because I think that there's some value in saying no, MS can, no MSP can say that they're too small with regards to doing this, you know, getting the house in order, like you said. Well, absolutely. And um, keeping in mind that an MSP 
no matter the size, uh, is still a link in the supply chain. Uh, it's incredibly critical. I've done pen tests and I've done vulnerability assessments for companies as small as three people before. And it's a completely different creature uh, because obviously you don't have quite the same level of complexity as you would typically see. Sure. Um, but it might be just as critical. Uh, one client I had uh, worked with, uh, they manufactured infrared sensors for uh, the army. And so you can imagine that if they had been compromised, that there could be some significant uh, national security concerns with that. Um, they were a sole supplier, in fact. Sure. So um, no, no size is too small for, for a pen test, although it may be somewhat onerous uh, for the organization. And you know, a lot of the things might not apply. It might be just as critical. Right. So, so this goes into what, what does that look like? So when you think about what, what's triggering the reasons behind it, right? So if I need a vulnerability assessment, I need a pen test, what are the drivers? So like, if you're talking about like a DOD, those types of things, just because we're, we're talking about what all might be included in a traditional penetration test doesn't mean the actual penetration test looks exactly the same as what's sort of assumed by the framework or the uh, overall theme that may be being requested by whoever says you got to have a pen test done. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And so, so getting buy-in on that is also important, right? Like I can't just say, hey, let's go ahead and do the test and we're only going to do these three things because you, you use Dropbox and and in G Suite, and that's it, uh, you know, your firewalls are non-existent in the context of what's being asked here, you still probably need to go back to the, the organization requesting that the pen test is being done and say, hey, this is our environment. Does this meet your, will this satisfy your request? Because obviously there's a significant cost to just go and do and then find out wasn't enough. Well, and it depends on the goals too. Um, certainly that would be the uh, initial concern is, can we make this work? Uh, but another concern then too, from a security standpoint is, it allows us with a smaller organization to be even more targeted and more focused in determining how much damage can happen from an attack, uh, especially when we're dealing with it uh, from a, a, a very limited uh, range focus on uh, who in the, uh, in the supply chain might be then targeted upstream. Right. So sure. in that particular example, we were able to be very focused in saying, OK, you know, exactly what kind of damage could happen here if somebody clicks on a link. I think that's a really important way of saying that. So I, I think about and everybody who's listening is going to totally resonate this statement. But remember the target breach? You know, I don't know that one can probably create a pretty solid argument that said uh, Target had a pretty solid security program. And to a large degree, it was being executed well. But that stops when you think about their supply chain and that link, probably not being a very big link, but still a link on an organization that program or not was not at where it needed to be. And it was the vulnerability and the breach, but that doesn't remove the responsibility or obligations of Target of ensuring that that was a secure environment. So you know, talk to that a little bit, because I think that's like where you're kind of going is like, we're in the supply chain and we're in a supply chain that's not uh, just one one chain link. Like it's more like a key ring with lots of keys hanging off of it. And then, you know, still upstream from us, like who are they targeting? Is it someone in our client pool and they're coming through us? Is it someone in our client pool and they're going through one of our clients to get through us to get to that client? 
Um, which yeah. goes back to my statement about we're a lot bigger than we think when we look at it through the lens of all the things that intertwine. Yeah. Well, and another aspect of that too is, um, I mean, ideally we're certainly focused uh, objectively on making sure that uh, security is front uh, and forward. And, you know, we want to make sure that all of our clients are as secure as possible, but the reality is, is that reputation management is a key part of that too. And the clients don't care that it was my HVAC contractors, subcontractor who got breached and then caused us to get breached. All they know is that they're our client and now their data is at risk. Right. So no matter how great your indemnification clause, your, your MSA with the client, it doesn't indemnify your reputation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's still getting pointed. All those fingers still getting pointed back at, uh, at us. Right. So it makes it even more important for a variety of different reasons. Um, and it's, it, it's unfortunate that it's fairly common that I will still come across businesses where they are, they're at least uh, beginning the conversation now, which is multiple steps forward than it had been in the past, as I'm sure you've, you've experienced. Sure. But even still, we sometimes see businesses that it's more like, well, this is a box that they told us we need to check. So we're trying to check that box as opposed to actually having uh, any sort of a direct care for the outcome. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's like the, the, the age-old argument of does compliance drive the outcome or is security best practices driving the outcome? And neither one of those drivers are necessarily wrong, but if the outcome doesn't satisfy security in that process, then it doesn't matter, right? Yeah, we, we all got to focus Irrelevant. on secure outcomes, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, so let's let's shift gears. Uh, let's talk a little bit about when does it make sense versus not as far as like a vulnerability assessment and then mm -hmm. going beyond that to a penetration test. And let's talk about it in twofold. twofold. First one is as an MSP, mm -hmm. vulnerability assessment on myself. Obviously, we should do those on a regular basis ourselves. Obviously, it's not objective, but it's still informative and it gives us data to work with. And then the second part of that is when does it make sense to involve a third party, whether it's just vulnerability or penetration? And then, then the second part of that would be like, let's talk about it when we look at our clients. Okay. So a lot of times, like you said, people still seem to confuse the terms, right? And uh, we'll get approached for a pen test from a company that's never had one before. Right. And I'll talk to them about, uh, well, uh, tell me about your security posture. Tell me about uh, what sort of assessments you've had in the past. And oftentimes they haven't really had anything done. Just do one. Yeah. So I'll tell mm -hmm. them, look, I'm happy to take your money, but keep in mind a pen test is, is significantly more uh, labor intensive and uh, has a much higher cost component. And if you've never even had a vulnerability assessment done, I can pretty much guarantee you're, you're going to fail. So probably what's in your best interest, unless this is specifically a requirement for some project or something like that or a compliance thing where we just have to do it anyway it's okay if we fail we just have to do it um it might be better to start off with something like a simpler vulnerability assessment knock out all the low-hanging fruit uh dramatically uh and much more quickly improve our security posture and then we can come back around and do a pen test later that's fine uh but there's sort of no sense in buying uh, a really fancy security system for your house if the power's not even hooked up yet, right? 
<laughs> that was really that was really good I, I really like that 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 resonates that should resonate with everybody that's like that's like remodeling a house you don't yet own good for the next guy i guess right it dep- yeah it depends <laughs> like if that deal falls through during right. the uh closing uh and you already started your remodel process well it may end up a pretty good deal for the person that didn't sell the house right uh in regards to when is it appropriate to bring in a third party uh, I would say the answer is pretty similar for both testing yourself as well as your clients. Um, it's not a bad idea, again, to do sort of your own testing, just so, you, again, you can find low-hanging fruit, easy quick fixes, take care of all that stuff. makes you look a lot better, especially to the client, because they see, like, you're being proactive and you've got security on the mind. Uh, but then very quickly, whatever your regularly scheduled interval should be, you're going to need to have it happening with a third party. So that way they can objectively find the things that you might have missed. And even if they don't find anything you missed, even if they find less stuff, uh, it's important, I think, to be able to show that uh, you passed an audit by uh, somebody who uh, can have that sort of distance there. Right. The, The unbiased of you and and do you do you really see that someone passes or is it more like you found that the gaps or or holes were not significant enough to to merit you know punishing them for the current state of affairs so it depends on whether they're being held to a compliance framework if they're being held to say CMMC or uh, FINRA DFARS whatever HIPAA uh, then you can say there's a pass fail component insofar as uh, there's, there's gaps, right. Right. Uh, Where they're not simply not compliant. Um, But even outside of that, I think um, one can, can say, okay, well um, there may be a situation where we were unable to uh, successfully actually penetrate the client. That being said, we have to keep in mind that we approach every engagement from a threat modeling perspective. Okay. And that's very rarely happening. I, I've, I've been finding people are like, we need a vulnerability assessment. I say, okay, why? And tell me um, what we're modeling here. Like, what are you talking about? Well, when you we, say that, are you saying like, if have they done any sort of like business impact analysis? Like what are that's the- a good, That's a key part of it, but there needs to be some kind of intelligence on what sort of threats are they facing? Are we going to focus our tests from the perspective from- threat modeling a disgruntled internal employee and uh, what sort of damage they could potentially cause? Or are we going to focus on a uh, business email compromise? Uh, Because they're very different approaches and we may have very different outcomes. And- Do we limit it? Do we limit it to that? I mean, I think about like- Not necessarily. Like like what happens if, uh, you know, a tree falls on my building and destroys my servers? Right. Is that, does that factor into this or is that not where this goes? Well, I, I wouldn't, uh, that would be something more under like a uh, IRDR, okay. CDR sort right. of a, a situation. That right? makes sense, yeah. Um, which uh, is a different type of tabletop exercise uh, that we sure. might do. But what this really more points to is a couple things. Um, helping determine whether it should be a black box or crystal box test. That is um, at, uh, attacking it completely blind or uh, having some pre-informed info possibly already starting from an assumption of compromise. That is, let's assume that somehow an email is gonna get through uh, that one of my employees is gonna click on. Sure. From that standpoint, what sort of damage could happen? 
um, should we already assume that the, after that uh, event has happened, that the attacker has been able to gain administrative credentials? Okay. From that standpoint, what sort of damage can happen? Right. So basically, with, it's with stepping attacks in. like past the hash and Kerberos thing and all sorts of these different things. You know, I mean, it it may, it may be trivial to be able to gain uh, to do privilege escalation. So so in so sort of splitting this in between vulnerability versus penetration mm. and the vulnerability assessment where you're sort of identifying potentially that threat level and the impact right so like you clicked on email where did that put us what can be happening here and then the next level up do you use that then to help say the msp identify like hey the probability of these first two happening is very high so your protection level here needs to be like through the roof. The probability yeah. of the elevation happening for this third one is really only going to happen if these two are not being protected well at all. So that ties into something we talk about uh, early on in uh, the GSCC um, certification stuff from SANS. I think it's day one stuff, the definition of terms, right? So we define risk as uh, degree of impact versus probability of, of occurrence, right? Sure. Or at least that's one definition of it. And, um, you know, if there's a very low probability it's going to happen, even though it could impact quite a bit, it may not be a very big risk for us. Right. So, for example, um, tsunami, right? I mean, it would be devastating if it happened, but all of our offices are in Colorado. So, you know, if a tsunami actually affected us, then we've got much bigger problems going on. Right? Right. We, 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 that would be a different kind of natural disaster. That's right. That's right. Uh, now, of course, that's more of a incident response uh, sort of uh, uh, example, but to help illustrate the same sort of idea. But but backing up for a second in, in what you just said, I, I liken that, though, to uh, when we say the probability of happening and all of those things, this also factors in this other element that I have started saying a lot, and that is we need to focus less on risk elimination and focus more on risk reduction because so many MSPs get stuck in this mindset that says, I can't eliminate this, so right. why try? Well, that's a horrible, I mean, that's- But we, but you hear like it all the time. a fundamental misunderstanding of anything to do with security. Okay, so <laughs> let's, use a, let's use some examples though that we know to be true. Let's think about email for a second and phishing campaigns. How yeah. many organizations spend a lot of energy on phishing campaigns because their mindset is, they're going to get fished at some point anyways. So how much am I really investing in this? And I would argue, you're right. At some point, we are all going to be victims of phishing because inevitably we are programmed to click on the link. And at some point in time, you will get an email that passes muster as far as convincing me that I should click on this. And shoot, it could be as simple as a text message with a link in it that puts me down this path towards compromise. Yeah. But the reality is if our focus is on reduction of risk, then ultimately that will also factor into risk elimination because it's, yeah. it's like talking about COVID-19. If we said, well, I'm not going to get vaccinated because I, the probability of me getting it is only so high because everybody else got vaccinated. Okay. I could see that argument. If that is, if that tide is rising where you've got that happening, but then you've got the other side of it. If it still happened, what's the risk of you dying? And you don't know that because it's an unknown risk. So that's, that's a great example of why there is a, big, a significant difference between a vulnerability assessment and a penetration test, right? So okay. vulnerability assessment is going to say you have all these risks. Now, if we're following principles such as defense in depth and properly uh, 
attributing to zero trust and following principles of least privilege, all that sort of stuff, then a pen test is going to show, okay, let's exploit that vulnerability. Now what? Right. Well, maybe nothing, right? So maybe I'm able to uh, successfully uh, do an authentication bypass and join the guest Wi-Fi network, but there's client isolation and I'm not able to hop VLANs or break out of it. So really there's not much risk there at all. Um, so on a pen test, we might be able to say like, okay, well, you know, we were able to get past here, but we weren't able to pivot and do anything from it. Yeah, that'd be like, um, I'm not saying that I'm doing this, but let's just say hypothetically speaking, considering where I live, rural Iowa, um, I didn't have password on my Wi-Fi. Mm. You know? Yeah, watch uh, out for those hacker cows, you know? Right, right. Like, <laughs> moo. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, you in some cases, security through obscurity can actually be a very valid thing when you go, the, the probability of this happening. Right, I just cringed a little bit. I know, I know. But the probability of it happening is so low, like you said, like you're... Yeah. you're you, the elevations of what we're looking at and then you go okay well what's the cost to the organization to lock that down and you may find that hey there is no financial scenario where they can afford to do this and it's an acceptable risk yeah i I think as long as it's documented that's that's the key thing it needs to be able to be shown we did come across this risk we know this risk exists but for these reasons that people higher than me are signing off on they're choosing to accept this as part of what we call our risk appetite so let's fast forward for a minute so we we know all those things to be true and i think you hit one on the head with saying documentation we talk about this a lot you can say i'm not going to do x or put na is not applicable to me the problem is if you don't document the why it doesn't apply then you're going to be in trouble, right? Like I'm sure there's another rhyme that goes with it. You know, the why yeah. it doesn't apply. Um, so let's let's speed this up a little bit and talk a little bit about. I have SMB clients, lots of them per se. Mm. Now what? Like we can't just say a client's going, oh I, yeah, I can't afford to have a vulnerability assessment. Um, and maybe they say they can't have a. a I mean that's a... that's so BS at this point in time. I think even if a vulnerability let's, assessment. Let's finish, the, let's finish the, the thought real quick because yeah. I want to make sure I agree with you. So like vulnerability versus penetration test. Mm-hmm. I don't think every SMB can afford to do a penetration test. However, let's go back to what you said. BS, talk to me about what does it look like for an MSP to say, hey, client X, we're doing this vulnerability assessment whether you like it or not because the yeah. reality is the cost to me, the MSP, is so much higher on not doing it than doing it, right? Well, in fact, we actually begin, uh, so we have a a documented sales process, right? And uh, part of our client discovery um, during the sales process is we actually do a vulnerability assessment, a very very simple, a light one, Um, but uh, it gives us a lot of insight into their environment and also gives you a lot of ammunition to be able to, you know, oust existing IT potentially. So look at all the stuff we found. And to be candid, when when one says vulnerability assessment, my experience has been, I could ask you a series of 10 to 20 questions. That is a vulnerability assessment of sorts, right? Like depending on how you answer those questions, I may be able to take away, we have some serious work to do based on what you just told me. And I haven't even looked at the environment. Yeah. Well, all I need to hear is three, three little letters. And I, and I know that if they don't have MFA rolled out, then I already know like, okay, we got a problem. So, and I, I like that, the, the three little letters. Uh, there's also, there's some other letters too, like, uh, do you have a firewall? And if they can't articulate that, 
that always gives me a concern. I don't expect every client to know what model firewall off the top of their head yeah. or the capacity or capability of the firewall, like IDS and IPS. But if they can't say yes, you know, quick on, yes, I have a firewall because I have had those scans like, well, uh, we have a security gateway. I think it's called, Oh, don't have a firewall. Thanks for answering. Honestly. Right. Like there are those scenarios and like, you're suddenly going, what am I getting myself into? And, and as an MSP, what are the questions that you should ask yourself when you're talking to, well, to your point on sales cycle, are there client prospects you would just walk away from based on what they tell you about their environment? I've, I've done it many times and, I, and we, we've done it recently, in fact, where it's 2021 and I'm seeing clients that still have 2008 servers and Windows 7 machines and a lot of the same issues you and I have described, they're on GoDaddy Popmail. Um, to me, <laughs> that speaks a lot more to uh, issues with the organization than it does with uh, their IT. Uh, because you can't convince me at this point that the conversation hasn't come up after all the alerts and pop-ups and all this sort of stuff that there hasn't been some kinds of conversations about, hey, is this something we should think about? All these alerts on my Windows 7 machines from Microsoft telling me that it's going yeah. away out of support, all this, the big freaking screens and all that. Um, so so what, I, it what tells you're me saying that is, this is a Kenny Rogers. I think it's Kenny Rogers. No one to hold them, no one to fold them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're much better at this point now in knowing like, yeah, this would not be a good fit. Um, this isn't let I, it ride on a pair of twos. The non-security the non one that I hear, and this, this maybe is a good tip for a lot of other MSPs, is when I hear something like, Boy, it's really hard to find good IT. Uh, you know, I've gone through probably 10 different IT companies in the last 11 years. And I'm just trying to find someone who's actually good at what they do. Like, okay, have a nice day. Right. Like, and yeah. and I, I guess there's, there's crappy guys out there, but they're not going through them. Sure. That and, you know, and I would argue that there's maybe a second conversation, but to your point, like, you know, there's a lot of time that can get wasted real quick on somebody's like on 10 out of 11. Yeah. Uh, well, it's so the same as, as uh, with, uh, you know, um, hiring internal staff, I think they say be slow to hire, but quick to fire. Right. right? Absolutely. Man, man, yeah. We just took cybersecurity, put it over here on a shelf and said, let's focus on business operational principles. And I think that's ties right back to cybersecurity, of course, all over again. Yeah. Uh, so Ken, uh, as we close out, what's like one, you've, you said a lot of great tips for the listeners, but what's one thing that you would would impart on those that are listening to this whether they are the industry at large or maybe more specific to the msp ignite members i would say for god's sake turn on multi-factor authentication you have no valid reason not to i don't care what your vips are telling you turn it on oh i use uh semantics vip does that count <laughs> oh god okay okay hey so uh ken as we wrap up where where can people find you LinkedIn is a great spot. Um, I usually cross post a bunch of stuff up there. Uh, I think it's just linkedin.com slash Ken C. Um, I'm also uh, on the MSP Ignite pages. Um, I do have a YouTube channel where I post uh, pretty much weekly little cybersecurity tidbits. And the channel name is InfoSec. So I-N-F-O-S-E-K. Um, I'll shoot a link over to Chris uh, for that. Yeah, so uh, we'll be sure to uh, make sure that that gets, especially for uh, MSP Ignite members, it'll be available probably on our YouTube channel. Um, again, everybody, I thank you for listening. This has been an episode of MSP 1337. Have a great week, everybody.